Turn with me to Joshua chapter 11, because we finished 10 last week, and I'd like to go over it again about the sun standing still and about the stones falling from heaven and how God fights. And it's wonderful to think that he can destroy an army just by shooting down some stones from heaven. That was one thing, rocks from heaven. And then the last thing we saw last week to win this battle was hailstones. And this is what we read that for the tribulation period, maybe the battle of Armageddon will be fought with hailstones of 50 pound blocks of ice that God is gonna throw down from heaven. Well, see, he's not limited like we are. So anyway, turn with me to Joshua. Joshua is a wonderful book. We have seen many things about it. Now, this is what I want us to see. We're going to see the finishing conquest that this little page that I got from one of the commentary Bibles I have. Let's just stop and ask God to bless us before we start this 11th chapter. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for each person who's come out to see what you have to say today. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that we can be thoroughly furnished to all good works. And so Paul wrote that all the things in not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So we're in the end of the ages. If there are you know, 7,000 years of human history, we know that from Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years and Abraham to Christ 2,000 years or 4,000 years or four of the days of history. And there be three left. And so we know that from Jesus' birth until his second coming will something be like two more days of a thousand years each and we're right there at the end of the days so we see that all these things uh, have lessons for us and we certainly can learn these lessons of fighting that you and i are in a battle and that we have a very subtle enemy who's very smart and who plays as we said last week with loaded dice and so lord we just ask that you would bless us and we know that we can overcome him because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But we need to know the Bible in order to be able to thwart him and to silence him, our great enemy. And he's called the avenger, the enemy and the avenger. He hates humanity and he wants to have God's throne. He wants to be as great as God, this fallen angel. And he's our enemy. Uh, but we see that God is able to fight for us too, like he did for Joshua. Bless us as we look at these things in Jesus' wonderful, powerful name. Amen. All right, now we're seeing in this little chart, the central campaign was the first. So you see the Dead Sea, and you see the Jordan River, and you see Jericho. They were over here on the east side of the Jordan River. Three and a half million people were camping there, and they didn't know how they were gonna get across the Jordan. They knew the first city was a walled city and a huge city and a, a royal city named Jericho with a strong army. And how would they ever take that? But they knew God told Joshua, don't be afraid. I'm going to fight for you. 
And we certainly saw how he took care of the walls of Jericho. They marched around the city. And the seventh day, they marched around seven times, blew the ram's horns, and the walls fell down. And there was still, as we come to this part where they're given their inheritance in the promised land, that Jericho, when they moved in, there were still the ruins of Jericho. And the wall where Rahab's house was is still standing because she was taken out because she hid the spies that came. She said, I know that God's given you this land. I'm believing in your God. And it turns out that she married one of the spies and is in the line of Jesus Christ. She's one of his great, 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 great grandmothers. So this was the central. First they came across and they took Jericho. Then they set up camp at Gilgal. And they camped there for a long time. Then we saw that the Gibeonites fooled them last time. They didn't ask of the Lord his guidance. And so these Gibeonites, it was another royal city, Gibeon. And they said, we've come from a long way and our clothes are all molded and our food is moldy and, and we've come because of your God. See, isn't that the very tricky way of, that Satan would work, isn't it? Well, anyway, they made a deal and not to, not to harm Gibeon. So they took all the land except Gibeon and the people of Gibeon they didn't kill, but they made them hewers of wood and carriers. They made them servants in the temple for always. We read about it in Solomon and David's time, the Gibeonites still. Then we saw last time the southern campaign. See the Jordan River there, this one down here? And how they came and took all of this moving south. They took all of this land in the southern part of Israel, the Dead Sea and west of it. So then today in this 11th chapter, we're seeing the northern campaign, which winds it up. And it came to pass when Jabin, well, first of all, I'll read just the last verse of this 10th chapter. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen. So from the west and the south and as far as Gibeon, all the country of Goshen, which would be up north, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. That's where they would always regroup there. Then it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, now this is in the northern part of the land. It's 10 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So you can see in the little map where the Sea of Galilee is, and you can see the city of Hazor, and it was a royal city too. And so Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things that he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, and the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshaph. These were all kings in the north. And to the kings who were from the north in the mountains, in the plains south of the Sea of Galilee, that Kinnereth is the Sea of Galilee, in the lowland and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So this is all the northern part of Israel. So they went out. 
they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that's on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Now look, and you'll see this picture of where the waters of Merom. It's north of the Sea of Galilee, and evidently it was a huge plain that they could all gather and thousands of troops could gather and it'd be a great place for an army. So they all came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Dr. Ryrie says Dor was on the Mediterranean coast between Caesarea and Mount Carmel. And he said the waters of Merom, evidently not Lake Hula, but an area of copious springs between Hula and the Sea of Galilee, about 10 miles west. And here the armies of the northern coalition massed. But the Lord said to Joshua, and you could imagine these thousands of well-armed and well-trained soldiers to fight them. But the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses, and that means to cripple the horses, cut a tendon in the leg so that they couldn't be used for war anymore. So he said, you're to hamstring uh, the horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon. Sidon would be up the coast of where Tyre and Sidon are today, up the coast and farther north. They chased them all that way to greater Sidon, to the brook Mizrephoth, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward, they attacked them until they left, none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told. He hamstrung their horses, burned their chariots with fire, and Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor, this is the capital, and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings, Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Now for those of you that haven't been here, uh, you may think this sounds terribly cruel of God for them to destroy the men, women, children, everybody. But these Canaanites, God had given them 400 years to turn to him, and they got getting worse and worse in their sin. And it's like before the flood. Every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And they were burning their firstborn. They were offering their children to these pagan idols. They were having sex with animals. Every awful thing you could think of, these people were doing. And God said, the land is going to be given over to you. I've promised it to you, but the iniquity of the Amorites, these Hittite people, and all these Canaanite people is not yet complete. When it's complete, and now it's complete. So he said, you're to wipe them out and cleanse the land before it's totally polluted because the children would grow up. You know, little kids can be nasty. It's what their parents teach them. And so all the cities of those kings, Joshua, verse 12, took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. 
But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, uh, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. He destroyed the cities but left the mound. Maybe it was on a hill. Maybe he thought they could build over that and for some reason. But So that's what he did. And all the spoil of those cities, the livestock, the children of Israel took his booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. So Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all this land, the northern part, of the land of Canaan at that time, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen. And you know, my great-grandmother used to say, oh, great land of Goshen. Have you ever heard that? They're quoting from the Bible. All the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, which would be south, and this would be uh, Edom's territory, as, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. So this would be from the north to the south. He captured all their kings, struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time. He doesn't say how long with all those kings. And it's just like our whole life is a struggle against the wiles of the devil, isn't it? The Bible says he's like a roaring lion walking around each of us looking for a weak point to see where he can get us and bring us down. But that's been his way all along. So we just know that Jesus, when he was tempted of the devil, what did he use? Weapons of war? No, he used the Bible, the Word of God. The devil can't stand the Bible. If you quote the Bible to him, he has to flee. That's for sure. And so there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, that pretended they were from a faraway place. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time, Joshua came to cut off the Anakim. Now, these people are mentioned in Genesis 6 and Deuteronomy 2.11. They were the giants or the Nephilim or the half fallen angel, half human descent. They were in the land of Canaan. Let's turn back to Genesis 6 just to see where this all started, these giants. Chapter 6, the moral picture in the days of Noah. And you know what Jesus said? As it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be in the last days before he comes back again. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, now this always in the Old Testament, is angels. The sons of God, in Job 1 and 2, uh, there was an angelic convocation before God's throne in heaven. And all the angels came and Satan came among them. And God said to him, where have you come from? And Satan said, from going to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. So this is his sphere, and you can read about him in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, that he was called son of the morning. He was beautiful and wise, and he said, I would like to have my throne above the stars of God. So other stars, the angels are equated with stars. So he was a fallen star. So 
The sons of God saw the daughters of men back there in Genesis, that they were beautiful, and they took for them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So it took that long in this day before the flood for the iniquity to get to the ripening point where God would bring the flood and destroy them all. There were giants or Nephilim or fallen ones. And the Septuagint says mixed human and angelic descent like the titans of old Roman and Greek mythology. So, you know, all of these angels coming down and cohabiting with all of the mythology is just covered with stories of angels and cohabiting with humans. All over the world this is known. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. So after the flood, it erupted again in the land of Canaan. It, that's where they were in the land of Canaan. But before the flood, it was all over the world. They bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. His family wasn't contaminated with the angelic eruption. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect. In other words, the angels hadn't corrupted his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But Noah, you make an ark. And so Noah took in the animals, two of every kind, into the ark. And so Noah and his family survived the flood. Um, and notice in verse 19 of chapter 7, the waters prevailed and all the high hills under the whole heaven. It wasn't a local flood. It was a worldwide flood. And Dr. Morris says the flood last time and the fire next time. That's what the apostle Peter said. So after that time then in chapter 9, it narrows the after that with the fallen angels. God said to Noah after the flood that he's given the sign of the rainbow, which from our point of view, we just see part of a rainbow, don't we? But if you were looking at it from God's point of view, it circles the earth. That's a sign that he'll never bring a flood again on the face of the earth. So this is a sign of the covenant. Now the sons of Noah, verse 18 of chapter 9, went out of the ark where Shem Ham and Japheth and Ham, uh, why would it mention this? Ham was the father of Canaan. So Canaan and the Canaanites have been uh, evil. And we, the very end of the Old Testament in Zechariah, it says there will no longer be a Canaanite in the millennial kingdom. So they were prone to evil, prone to be destroyed. So it said these were the sons and by these, the whole earth was populated, these three boys. 
Now Noah began to be a farmer. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. One of the preachers says, you're never too old to sin. <laughs> and, and Ham, the father of Canaan, mention it again, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from the wine and knew what his younger son, it could be Ham's son, Canaan, had done to him. So they have been known to be homosexuals. They've been known to be perverts in every sense of the word. So something like that happened in the line of Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, not cursed be Ham. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brethren. Didn't look like this many times in history where the Canaanitish peoples were world conquerors and world rulers. But God said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan may be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and most of us in this room from Japheth, which Japheth settled in most of West Europe, Northern Europe and Western Europe. And most of us have come from that heritage. And it says, and may Canaan be his servant. So anyway, then we come back to Joshua and we see that the Anakim were part of the Canaanitish giants. And Anak was one of the main ones. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel, verse 22 of chapter 11. So they didn't get them out of Gaza in Gath. Now, who had to get some of them out of Gath? Where was Goliath from? Goliath was from Gath. And so it took David, his courage. And in Ashdod, which was down in the Canaanitish territory. And so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions and by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now then chapter 12 gives a list of conquered kings and there are 31 of them on the west side of the Jordan. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. So this would be on the east side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain where two and a half tribes settled. Sihon, king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Ararur, which is on the bank of the river Arnon from the middle of that river even as far, uh, this is the story of how uh, Moses conquered him is in Numbers chapter 21, 24, how they killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, in the eastern Jordan plain, verse 3, from the Sea of Galilee, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth Jeshimon, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. And Og, king of Bashan, and his territory. So it's very famous, these Sihon and Og, it's mentioned many times. You read about it in the Psalms. Uh, Og, king of Bashan and his territory, who was one of the remnant of the giants. Og was a remnant of the giants. And we read in Deuteronomy the first, he had a bedstead 11 feet long. You know, they were just huge, huge creatures who dwelt at Ashtaroth and Edrei. And Og reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, over half of Gilead, 
as far as the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered already. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh. So after they conquered on the east side of the Jordan, Og and Sihon, these two and a half tribe, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of Manasseh, you know, Manasseh was one of the children of Joseph. They said, we love this pasture land and we have all these flocks. We'd like to have this be our land on the east side of the Jordan. We don't care about getting into the promised land. So God had given them that. So they gave the tribes of Israel, as to Joshua gave it to them as a possession according to their divisions. In the mountain country and the lowlands, in the Jordan plain in the slope, in the wilderness and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho won. Now he's going to name all these 31 kings. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, won. Remember how the first time they said, oh, let's just go up and take Ai with just a few people. Well, they didn't ask of the Lord. And so the people of Ai came out and killed some of the Jews and won the battle because the Lord wasn't with them. And the king of Jerusalem and the one and the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth and Lachish and Eglon and Gezer and Deber and Geder and Horma and Arad and Libna, Adullam. Now that Adullam later on, where did David hide from Saul? The cave of Adullam. So that would be in that property. And Machida, we're going to read about that later. And Bethel, then Tapua, Hefer, Aphek, Lasharon, Madon, Hazor, Shimron, Aksath, the king of Tanakh, the king of Megiddo. So we know what's going to happen someday in that property. Or the final battle will happen in Armageddon, Megiddo. The king of Kadesh, Jochnim in Carmel, the king of Dor in the heights of Dor. One, the king of the people of Gilgal. One, the king of Terza. And when you read the Song of Solomon, read it again. You're beautiful, my dear, like the, like the something of Terza. When you see these names, so evidently there was some beautiful territory in Terza. You can look for that name in Song of Solomon. Uh, all the kings, 31. So now Joshua was old, chapter 13. Advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that is of the Geshurites. From Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, that would be where the Philistines were. They had five cities in Gaza. And David went down and escaped there. Remember, he stayed in Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and uh, Merah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, which would be north. The land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon, this would be taking clear up toward Syria, toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains of Lebanon as far as the brook Misrephoth and all the Sidonians 
so people from Sidon. Then will I drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. So he, it was to be by lot according to the size of the tribe. Now therefore divide the land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So they're nine and a half, the two and a half were already settled on the east with the other half tribes of Reubenite and Gandites. They received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward. So uh, here's the allotment of the land in chapter 13, starting with verse 8. Um, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them from Ararur, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that's in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medeba as far as Deban, all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites. See, this would be all on the east side of the Jordan, wonderfully lush pasture land, and then mountains on the farther east, who reigned in Heshbon as far as the border of the children of Ammon. And now somebody mentioned about the children of Ammon that the Ammonites, the, the Jews were to leave them alone because they were descendants of Lot and they weren't to destroy them. However, Og, king of Bashan, had destroyed the Ammonites earlier and taken their property. So now it was no longer Ammon, but it belonged to Og. All the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth from Edrai, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but the Geshurites and Machathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families, their territory. So Reuben's territory... He was the firstborn, was from Ararur, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medeba, Heshbon, all its cities are in the plain, Deban, Bamoth Gal, Beth Baal Mian, uh, Jehaza, Kedemoth, Mephath, Kerjatham, Sibma, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing these right, maybe if you if you want to try it, you can. <laughs> uh, Zareth Shahar on the mountains of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshemoth. All the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, who were princes of Sihon, dwelling in the country. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, now, this is an interesting thing. At this time, they killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor. Remember, we read about him in Numbers 22. The king of Moab hired him to curse Israel. He was a believer, really, but he would do anything for money. And he said, how can I curse whom God has blessed? But anyway, they killed him with the sword, the soothsayer among whom they were killed by them, by the children of Israel. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben, according to their families, their cities, and their villages. Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead, half the land of the Ammonites as far as Ararur, which, which actually Sihon had defeated them, so it was 
part of Sihon's kingdom now. And so from Heshbon, clear to the border of Deber, in the valley, Beth, all these names he took, to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, verse 27, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. So this would be the northern part. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad. Moses also gave an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. So this would be the side east of the Jordan. Their Tory was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jer, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were for the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for half the children of Machir, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab, on the east side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. So then in chapter 14, it's the division of Canaan. So these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by Lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine and a half tribes. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and a half on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, so they had to make it up to be twelve. So Joseph, in Jacob's time, he had adopted the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, as his. So for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common land for their livestock and their property. So the children of Israel divided their lands up so that the Levites had property even though they were dedicated to the Lord. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, the inheritance of Judah, it is huge. It is so large that Simeon has to be have his land in the middle of Judah. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that brought a favorable report. The ten other spies said, well, the land is wonderful, but it's got giants there, and they have walled cities. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. So the majority ruled, and they didn't go up, and so this made the Lord very furious with them. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God, Caleb. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive 
as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I'm as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, these giants, the sons of Anak, were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron, or Hebron, to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron, or Hebron, formerly was Kerjeth Arba. See, for Arba was the greatest giant among the Anakim. And then the land had rest from war. So then we see Judah's inheritance. This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah. From the border of Edom, down there where Esau is, down way south at the wilderness of Zin, southward, and their southern border would be the Dead Sea, from that bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of the Akrabim, passed along to Zin, south of Kadesh Barnea, passed along Hezron up to Kadar, went around to Karka. From there it passed to the brook of Egypt. And that's an interesting thing, that when I was looking at the map of the Nile River, the Nile flows north and it flows into the Mediterranean in five branches. And this first branch probably is called part of the river of Egypt. And so all of them were rivers of not part of the Nile, see. But so when it says that, so verse 8, and the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. So that belonged to Judah. But they didn't take it as a capital until David's time. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is the end of the valley of Rephaim. That would be giants there. So the border went around all this huge territory from the south to the north, on beyond. And so he gave to verse 13, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. Shishai, Ahiman, Talmai, the children of Anak. So these are all giants that he drove up. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber. Formerly, the name of Deber was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I'll give Achish, my daughter, his wife. So Othniel, actually his nephew, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, his wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she said, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The cities at the limits of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the border of Edom, which is Esau's territory in the south, were Kabzeel 
And that's another name. When you read in 2 Samuel 24, these were the names of the cities, Kabziel, Eder, and Jagger, that belonged to Judah. But notice in 2 Samuel, it just struck me, I knew that I'd heard about a lion-like man of Kabziel. And so I was looking through, and sure enough, in 2 Samuel, with the list of David's mighty men, one of them, it says, Benaiah, verse 20 of chapter 24, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds for David. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day, and he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiah, did, and won a name among three mighty men. So then, back here, we see when Kabzeel was given to the family of Judah. So it names all these other cities, and you may recognize a lot of them. Keilah in, in verse 44, we see um, later on in the story of the Jewish people, would the people of Keilah come out after me, or would they be faithful? No, they'll come out after you. So Keilah is another city. All of these cities are mentioned like in the times of David. So then Ashdod, Goshen, it names all these. I'm just going to skip. And as for the Jebusites, verse 63, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. But so we know that David took the Jebusite city. Do you know of a believer who was a Jebusite back in Genesis 14? What was the name of Genesis 14? Let me see. Because he mentioned Melchizedek. He was king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. So he was a Jebusite. He was a Canaanite, but he was a believer. And Abraham, after the slaughter of the king, brought him a tenth of all the spoils. That's the story of Genesis 14. So chapter 16, the lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains of Bethel. Then went out and mentions all these territories. So verse 4, so the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim took their inheritance. And then it tells what that is. Then Verse 10 says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites. Ephraim and Manasseh were children of Joseph to this day and have become forced laborers. There was also a lot, chapter 17, for the tribe of Manasseh. He was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Maker, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead. And then it talks about the lot for him. But verse 3 says, But Zelothahad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Macher, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terza. And they came near before Eleazar the priest and before the ruler, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, 
he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten portions fell to Manasseh, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher, Michmethoth, that lies east of Shechem. Shechem was the first place where Abraham came. It is a wonderful place where Jacob's sons killed all the Shechemites. That's a terrible story in Genesis. But Manasseh, and then southward it was Ephraim's, northward it was Manasseh's, and verse 10, and the sea was its border. Then verse 12, yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of the cities of Megiddo and Dor and so forth. Uh, But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. Kind of like today, the Arabs are determined to be in the land of Israel, and now they're fighting big time about the Temple Mount. And I just saw this today, that they will not allow a Jew to be up where the Temple Mount was. Now, why does Israel allow this? Well, they placate these people, and it brings them trouble. It always has. Back here, it brought them trouble. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong, verse 13, that they put the Canaanites to forced labor and didn't utterly drive them out. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua said, If you are a great people, <laughs> a small at least, the lot gave them a smaller inheritance. If you're so great, go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You're a great people and have a great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Then in chapter 18, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled at Shiloh. So now they're taking the tabernacle from the central point that they had in Gilgal and moved it to Shiloh where it stays until Solomon builds the temple. And the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had yet received their inheritance. So it tells each one, Gad, Reuben, and the men, they cast lots in Shiloh before the Lord and Joshua divided the land. Then Benjamin, his lot fell between Judah and Ephraim. So Benjamin's territory is in Judah's territory. And it mentions all of that. So then Simeon's is in chapter 19 and also Zebulun. Well, next week we'll start with chapter 19. So we'll just finish Joshua next week. Lord, we thank you for this time and for each one who's come out. Bless us with these inheriting the land. It doesn't mean so much to us, but it meant a lot to them. They'd fought hard for it, and where were they going to have their final land? It would be by lot, and God would determine that lot. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for Israel and that you will do for Israel. 
bless them in a wonderful way and let them get up there on the Temple Mount and be Arab. All of the Arab lands that they have and they want that one little teeny sliver of land of Israel. So Lord, we know you're going to work it all out. So we leave it all with you and know you'll do what is right and what is best. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.